The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The human mind, body, emotions, and spirit are more powerful than anyone can imagine, and we will learn to utilize each of them to the maximum and learn to make decisions about what we want and how we want to feel. What a concept, and one we will explore today on the Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. On our program, we'll address who you are, why you're here on this planet, how to go within, how to come to know what you believe, and why. Now, here's your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. This is Irene Conlon talking to you from sunny Arizona. It's absolutely gorgeous here today, so I'm, I'm not going to rub it in. It's really nice here. This has been a week of WikiLeaks and all kind of other negative news, and I encourage you to work at keeping your own thoughts positive while you're flooded with negative around you. It makes a difference in your life when you can control your own thinking and keep your mind on positive thoughts. Um, for those of you who are new to the show, our theme song is No More Mr. Nice Guy by Alice Cooper, and there's a reason for that. When you start doing some serious self-improvement, you're going to change, and you're going to be able to say no. And then sometimes people don't think you're such a nice guy. And the other reason is that Alice Cooper lives here, and he is really a nice guy. And every week I say, Alice Cooper, if you hear this, please come be on my show. We'd love to have you as a guest. My son's a web developer and works with some really fantastic people in India. He learned in the middle of the night last night that their, ton had, their town had been flooded out. Five people have died there in India, and there may be more deaths before it's all over. Somehow they managed to get the work done that they were doing. I, I really don't know how. They're fantastic. If you go to the Self-Improvement blog, which is my blog, The Self-Improvement blog, Dot com. You'll see a news story about it. It's not covered in our news, um, but I, they sent us this clipping from an India paper. It's, it's a plea for help. They need our help, and the world is so small now, they're really our neighbors. So go read the story, and if you can help them out, um, there'll be some information soon, I hope, on how we can all do that. A word about next week's guest. Next week we're going to have Neil Tepper, who's known as the Creative Doctor. He's a coach, an inspirational speaker, an author, an award-winning photographer, and he offers tools to help people solve the common challenges we all face in this fast-paced, 24-7 kind of world we're in. He was an executive with the Coca-Cola Company. That's where he got his name, Creative Doctor. Uh, he worked with Universal Television, where he helped syndicate programs such as Northern Exposure, which was one of my favorites, and Coach. 
He worked in the 1996 Olympics where he developed a series of TV specials for NBC. We could go on and on about Neil Tepper. He has a very large resume and he's a very dynamic man. Uh, <clears throat> right now he's a coach, a teacher, a speaker, a consultant, and he works with clients across the country. He'll be speaking to us from another hardship place called Honolulu. Um, and I really look forward to it. So, you know, put it on your calendar to have lunch with us next week when we talk to Neil Tepper. Our guest today is Eric Putnam, and I think you'll learn very quickly that Eric Putnam is a very special man. He has a Master of Arts in Applied Sociology and a Master of Arts in Professional Counseling. And I want you to listen closely to what his job was. For five years, he was a clinical director of Child Protective Services Crisis Stabilization Services at an organization called Teros. He worked with highly abused, neglected children who exhibited severely destructive behavior. Now, some of you may never have experienced being with a child who exhibited behavior such of this or who had been so abused and neglected. Uh, Eric has quite a background with it and has developed his own practice helping parents and teachers work with these children. He's developed some, some tools he's going to tell us about. It's a very special kind of thing he does. He was planning to be with us today in the studio, but he got called away. He works uh, with schools and governments and individuals all around the country and he got called to go and so he's on the road uh, to help somebody who really needs his advice. So we'll be talking to him on his cell phone. Eric, hello, welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. Hi, Irene, how you doing? I'm doing great. You're driving. I, I want to say to the audience that, um, well, I hope you're not the driver. I know somebody's with you who I hope at this moment is doing the driving. My wife is doing the driving. Oh, bless her. <laughs> so, <laughs> so tell us just a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you came to be interested in, number one, being a counselor, and number two, working with children who need such uh, expertise in terms of help. Tell us how you got here. Well, as you mentioned in your opening, um, I've been working with uh, children for almost 20 years now, and uh, especially the, uh, the last uh, close to six years of, uh, of a full-time position where I was working over at Taros, is I noticed that, uh, that there was this missing service in the community. Um, for starters, is that there seems to be a lack of counselors that uh, specialize in working with the really young children, but also um, it seemed like we didn't have a service that would go actually into the homes and into the schools and work directly with the parents and teachers and teach them how they can set uh, their children up success. So there was a total void there in terms of, of yes. help. and it and it's. I uh, started up this business about three years ago. I got a flood of, uh, of uh, uh, comments from peers saying it's about time, and <laughs> and uh, now uh, we've been really busy. As, as evidence of me jumping in the car and running out to Santa Barbara to teach her. So, 
can can you tell us a little bit about what they expect you to do to help them? Is this a school or an organization that deals with children with behavior problems? Or you know, can you give us just a, I know you can't reveal your client. I would never ask you to do that. But can you give us just a little more information about what you can bring to them to help them deal with their situation? Well, um, for instance, in this case, is I'm going to go meet a, uh, a teacher that's out in Santa Barbara. Um, she has a, uh, a six-year-old child that uh, has been diagnosed with autism, and she's been really struggling with, uh, with his behaviors in the classroom. Uh, the child is actually uh, academically uh, quite advanced, uh, more advanced than, uh, than most of these students, but his behaviors are so disruptive uh, it makes it difficult for the other students to uh, learn and for, for him to socialize with, with the other kids. So where do you start? Do you start with the teacher or with the child? I guess it's different every instance. Well, it's interesting. Is I would say um, upwards of 90% of my work is directly with the adults. I, I, I don't actually spend a, a lot of time with the children. And the reason why is because what I found out is that a, a large part of my work is, uh, takes advantage of the simple fact that relationships between uh, adult and child are one of the most powerful aspects of uh, working through difficult behaviors. There was a study recently um, that came out within the last year that close to 80% of behavior problems can be significantly impacted for the better by just strengthening and building relationships between adult and children. Is this something that's completely ignored in um, the programs to prepare teachers for the classroom? Well, I, I think that all of us start working with these parents and teachers. I think we all at some level recognize that this is a powerful aspect of uh, setting kids up for success. Uh, so as I start introducing some of these concepts, teachers get on board really quickly. But I think you're right, is that it's, it's really not um, put into the curriculum. It's really not, uh, you know, uh, as much as it should be within the whole school uh, in general. Ah, maybe this is an area that you could address in some future time to helping to develop a curriculum that deals with this. I don't want to push you any, but <laughs> it looks like there's a need there. Well, there is. Uh, it's interesting. I've had several cases just within the last, I would say, two months where the ch uh, even though I, I, I work with children to t kind of teach them skills that set them up for success, really the most uh, important aspect of how, how we were able to get this kid turned around uh, or these kids turned around was our ability to, to get parents talking to teachers, teachers talking to teachers, teachers talking with counselors and principals and such. Do you ever get the parents all together so you can address them as a group and say, here's some general principles? We do. I do trainings throughout the Valley. Uh, I do about, uh, I don't know, about six to ten trainings a month where I go into uh, schools and child care centers, and, and we work with the teachers and the parents together. Oh, that's awesome. So you work with schools, you work with daycare centers, you work with parents. What other kind of groups do you work with? Well, what's, what's really interesting, in the last year, uh, we're kind of doing something different. Is We've actually had districts uh, call us in where we'll 
where we'll go into a uh, the whole school. We may have a, you know, like five or six targeted kids that are having uh, difficult behaviors, but we end up working with the school as a whole, bringing everybody together, kind of working on the same things. What happens with the other children in the classroom when a child is so destructive, and then they begin to get help? Do the other children adjust their own behavior according to what that child is doing? It's just an interesting scene to me. I know how disruptive a class can get when there's one child who acts out. What it's, happens? It's funny. The, the adult's concern and reaction about the other children oftentimes is... Uh, a lot worse than the actual children's reaction to the uh, difficult behavior. Oh, For that's instance, interesting. I'll give you an example. As I, I have a, another autistic kid that I was working with about a month ago, and this ch- child, uh, um, he would uh, learn kind of uh, on the periphery of the classroom. It was difficult for him to socialize with the other children. Um, he uh, He would he would think about what, what uh, was talking about, talked about in the curriculum, but it was, uh, he would get more nervous and agitated if he was forced to sit at his desk. And I asked uh, this boy, he was about a, a five-year-old boy, to come sit down, and the girl right next to me said, that's okay, that's just how he learns. Oh, so, that's cool. And so, you know, <laughs> the kids get it pretty quickly. It's the adults that sometimes struggle with some of these concepts. Well, we have our idea of how a classroom's supposed to be, and everybody's supposed to be sitting quietly at their desk, totally enwrapped in what the teacher's saying, and it doesn't work that way. That's right. <laughs> uh, tell me uh, a little bit about what makes you different from other, other people who work with children or work with teachers and parents in behalf of children. Well, uh the biggest difference, and it's kind of like my, uh, my mantra as far as me and my staff as we're going out into school, and that is uh, we don't fix children anymore. I, I was a licensed counselor for um, close to five years, and I got really frustrated because I would have uh, parents bring their children uh, into my office and basically drop them off and say, hey, fix him. And oh. what's nice is we don't fix children a- anymore. Is we set them up for success. And we do this through um, a variety of different approaches that kind of respect the child where they're at. It must be a relief to the child to realize they're not broken. It is. I I can't tell you how many times I've had a a child diagnosed with ADHD um, and uh, comes to my office at age 12 and... They say, everybody hates me. I've even had kids say, you know what, I think everybody believes I'd be better off dead. Oh, Eric, that's pretty heavy duty. What do you do with that? Well, and so, you know, a a large component about what we do in setting kids up for success is we find the talent (laughs) underneath the difficult behavior. Uh, For instance, ADHD kids, you know, just by the definition of attention hyperactivity disorder is... Hyper kids is, they're fast. They have lots of energy, and there's a lot of positives about those. Oh, they think fast and move fast. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And it's sometimes hard for everybody else to keep up with them. It's just about time for us to go to break, Eric. And when we come back, I want to talk a little more about this positive thinking and maybe get into how you use positive psychology in your practice. Okay, sounds good. 
This is Irene Conlon with with my guest Eric Putnam for the Self-Improvement Show. We'll be right back. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. In Sue McDaniel's book, I Am Heart, she talks about feelings. Now, Sue is ready to bring her book, blogs, and topics of interest to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. I Am Heart will discuss concepts and ideas that affect all of us and will provide experts and solutions to help everyone. Sue, speaking through I Am Heart, will answer your questions, share your answers, and learn together with you. Each program will have topics you've suggested, homework to learn about yourself, and moments of connection. Tune in to I Am Heart, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on World Talk Radio Variety. I have a dream. Sometimes it seems that life is just throwing you one obstacle after another. There are many people who have overcome or are overcoming their personal obstacles in order to succeed. Hear them talk about these barriers and how they overcame them on American Dreams, The Sky is the Limit, featuring host Jen Robertson. Jen herself overcame life struggles to become one of the most in-demand motivational speakers in the world today, as well as a best-selling author. Tune in to American Dreams, Wednesdays at 5 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You are tuned in to the Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Eric Putnam. Eric is a behavioral coach who works with children, uh, mainly with parents and teachers, to help children who have some challenging behavior. Just before the break, we were talking about how he uses um, some positive steps, uh, looking at children's strengths, et cetera, to help develop a program that works for them, which brings us into the arena of positive psychology. Eric, I know you use positive psychology. Can you tell us a little bit about it and how it helps you in your own practice? Well, we have, we have a kind of a unique approach. We uh, combine some of the uh, research on uh, attachment and bonding and then also bring that into uh, um, behavioral uh, consultation. And, again, as with positive psychology, is is constantly looking at, at how do we strengthen behaviors, how do we recognize and celebrate talents. And we've, I've kind of boiled it down to a, what I call my formula for setting kids up for success. Okay. And what's nice, what's nice about it is that you can apply this formula, these steps, to kids that have uh, you know, mild behavior problems all the way up to some of the more severe uh, behavioral problems like severe aggression, uh, autism, um, uh, extreme hyperactivity, that kind of stuff. 
Okay. And, uh, the, 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 really, the formula, it's about four or five steps. Um, and what's interesting is my, uh, I would say my fifth step is generally what a lot of people feel is what behavioral coaching is all about. But I find is if you can follow the first four, oftentimes you don't need the fifth step. And the, the fifth step is really it's behavior modification. It's rewards and consequences. Something that, uh, that most teachers and parents is that's what, you know, all they do to rely on as far as uh, to parent their kids. Okay, before you give us the four steps, can, I'm assuming that any parent can use this with any child, even if he isn't having a challenge, it could help him prevent something in the future? Is that exactly. a correct? Okay. These Let's... are steps that I use in, uh, with my family. Um, these I encourage it with my friends. Um, and what's fascinating is you kind of walk through these steps and you can see results in, uh, you know, in as little as two to three weeks, as long as you're consistent um, and uh, you give the, the child the opportunity to learn them. Okay, let's have them. Well, for starters, now what you want to do is with these four steps is they're kind of hierarchical. Is they, they build off of, uh, off of each other. Um, we want to focus on one first and then add to the next. Okay. The, the first step is, is building relationships. We kind of touched on that earlier. Is I encourage um, parents, you know, we've always heard about, uh, you know, you should have quality time with your child. I encourage parents and teachers is to set aside this, you know, this quality time, this time, this one-on-one time where, um, where you're just fully involved with your child, where you're listening to them, where you even, to a certain extent, take off your parenting or teacher's hat and just enjoy them in the moment. Oh, every child. Some adults need that, too, you know. I was part of a... Uh, of a research study that was uh, with the uh, uh, Arizona State University and one of the local uh, uh, counseling agencies, uh, Southwest Human Development in the Valley. And they were working with, uh, with kids of divorced, recently divorced families. And some of the research was showing, again, is about 70 to 80% of the behavior problems that you would see after a divorce or separation could be uh, turned around just by getting mom and dad to, to spend that one-on-one time with their child. They schedule it in advance. They look forward to it. Um, it becomes that special bond that they have together. I have a question. <clears throat> we talk a lot about quality time. And I've heard parents say, well, I had 30 minutes of quality time with him last week. Is, is there a need for quantity time as well? I mean, there's even sometimes if you're just in the room with your child and letting him play, he knows you're now, there. You know what? Um, the problem is, is that when they when when parents say that to me, I ask the child is uh, was was that quality time, and they don't feel like it is, and that's why we do something that's just a little bit different. Is it's planned? It's looked for forward. Um, the, the parent will put it on the calendar as we're going to do this on Thursday night and it'll be an hour and it's whatever you want to do. Um, just going to have fun together. I like and they that. Look, they look forward to it. They, uh, they get excited. They, they feel more connected. This is, this is our time. And do you find that most parents will follow through with that? I, you know what? It's amazing because 
um, again, as I, I'll give you another example, is uh, I had a uh, six-year-old, one of my staff was working with a six-year-old boy that was having some pretty se- severe defiance issues at school. And so pretty much always when we're working with parents, we ask them to do this one-on-one time with their child. And so she scheduled it, and she only had within two weeks of only having one one-on-one time a week, so only two actual hour sessions with her child, all of a sudden the defiance was pretty much cut in half, um, much much more manageable, um, and, and that's before we get to the, any of the other steps in the formula. That's pretty significant, Eric. That's so- it, it is, and, and as I was mentioning before, as this relationship thing goes all the way up, um, I've had uh, problems where, where parents are fighting with schools, and if I can just get them together and kind of bring them to some common ground, decrease overall stress between them, guess what? The uh, the child's behaviors get a lot better. Oh, isn't that a surprise? It is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's number two? Number two. Now, well, before we get to number two, is we, we find out that um, that most of the behavior problems that we have um, with our children, um, this will come in, in a later step, step number three, is a missing skill, and it's typically one of two things. It's either a social skill or an emotional regulation skill. And so that's why it's really helpful for us to determine whether or not they have um, some relationships, because if they don't have that, they get frustrated, and then the behavior problem comes out. The second step in the formula is all about the environment. I have a, a saying that, uh, that I, I train my staff on, and that is, is we always want to change the environment before you change the child. What we look at is daily schedules. We look at um, the, the adults around that child. We look at a little bit of everything. We look at what they eat, how much exercise they get, um, how they're supported through uh, daily transitions. Um, and it's amazing. A, 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 another example I can give you is I had a four-year-old at a uh, at a daycare. And this was about a year ago, and she had uh, she had had some bad experiences. She had actually been uh, uh, abused, and uh, we discovered that uh, she was throwing these huge tantrums. If you can believe it or not, as this child had was in her third daycare, she had been expelled from two daycares prior because of tantrums these huge tantrums that would last close to an hour long. And I could have jumped right in there and created a behavior plan to decrease, you know, these tantrums. But since I did step two, which is look at the environment, is we discovered that she was slightly hypoglycemic. So what we did is uh, she was living with a grandmother at the time. We asked grandmother to bring in a couple of protein bars she would have a half a protein bar like around 10 o'clock, you know, between meals, breakfast, mm-hmm. and lunch. Yeah. And the tantrums were cut in half again. Oh, they wow. were uh, They were much more manageable. Um, they lasted, uh, you know, about 20 to 30 minutes instead of an hour. That's and, remarkable. And the long, in the long run, is, uh, this child was uh, eventually able to work through these tantrums, and she didn't have to get expelled again. A question, when you have a child that's 
acting out because they've been abused. And I don't know how a child wouldn't have a behavior problem when they're abused. I, I you know, God bless them. Uh, yeah. When they they go back to that same environment where they are abused, how do you work with a teacher or even the abuser to help that child? Do can, do you work with the parent who's doing the abusing sometimes? Um, uh, I've never actually worked with the abusers, um, but what we can do. It sounds like it may be a hopeless situation when you have a child that is going back into those environments. But actually, we'll still follow the formula, is we're going to start off by working with a teacher or an aunt or a grandmother, and we're going to strengthen relationships. We're going to look at, uh, at that child's ability to form an attachment with one, at least one adult, where they feel safe and they feel secure, they feel protected in that moment. And if we can do that, we can start to affect... Uh, first and foremost, the anxiety levels of these children because of the abuse. I, I can't imagine abusing a child, and I, I know it's not uncommon, but you know, do I guess most of the children that you've worked with who are abused have been taken out of the abusive situation then? Yeah, uh, generally uh, these are children that have either been uh, placed with uh, relatives or into foster care. Oh, that's interesting. And guess what, Eric? I can't believe it, but it's time for us to take another break. We're going to be right back. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Eric Putnam. We'll continue our conversation for the Self-Improvement Show on Voice America World Talk Radio. Stay tuned. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to talk. Cotton Radio is a unique program designed for leaders in apparel and retail businesses and college students. Our program will take you inside the cotton industry, including production, design and engineering of cotton fabrics, innovative uses for cotton, and marketing and merchandising products that have made cotton the fiber of choice. Your hosts are Philadelphia University professors Stephen Frumkin, Natalie Nixon, and Neoka Wyatt. Tune in to Cotton Radio on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel, Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific, and rebroadcast weekly on the Voice America Business Channel. To succeed in life today, you have to respond well to change and be willing to take chances. On Star Style, Be the Star You Are, the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan and her sidekick, daughter Heather Brittany, deliver lessons of success spanning the generations with live interviews with trailblazers, authors, and experts. Join Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany on the Power Hour, Star Style, Be the Star You Are, every Thursday from 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern on World Talk Variety. For positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio, it's Star Style. Be the star you are.
the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You are tuned in to the Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon with my host, Eric Putnam. We were talking before the break about Eric's formula for helping a child change his behavior so that he can begin to achieve success. And I think we're ready for number three, aren't we, Eric? Number three. We, uh, we went through relationships, changing the environment. The third step is, uh, is about temperament. Um, and this gets back to what I was saying about how uh, it's nice I don't have to fix children anymore. I set them up for success is what I do is um, I don't even have to, um, you know, uh, worry about the diagnosis of a child. What I worry about or, or look at is temperament. Um, we have children that uh, oftentimes when they're referred to me is their temperament is um, making it more difficult for them to succeed. And I, what I believe is, is we don't try to change the temperament. That's the way that you're wired. We should actually celebrate the temperament. Um, but what we want to do is find ways to set that temperament up for success. And we've got to do that with, uh, by first understanding um, how, they, how that temperament affects their lives. Temperament, uh, common temperaments that uh, are referred to me are uh, obviously as would be hyperactive temperaments, um, easily distracted temperaments, um, aggressive temperaments, uh, oppositional or defiant temperaments. Um, uh, 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 a, a what I call a withdrawal temperament would probably be the last one. And what that does is that if we can understand what the temperament is, then the next step is is to find the talent or the talents that are underneath that temperament. And we're going to want to celebrate that as much as we can because what that will do is that will elevate the child's self-esteem, their, uh, their belief in their ability, their self-efficacy. And, and since we've got a nice relationship with that child, that'll set us up for step four, which is teaching them new skills. Uh, let me give you a couple of examples okay. of, some temp- of some temperaments where there, you can see the hidden talent. Um, one temperament that I've seen a lot of is, is an anxious temperament. These are your little worry warts, um, uh, needing to have all the doors checked at night, um, worrying about bad guys. Um, these are the same children that try to parent their own, uh, their own parents. Um, and oftentimes this anxious temperament can become annoying to others, can become uh, um, the anxiety can become so powerful it can actually lead to um, to other problems like phobias, like uh, compulsions. And what's nice is if you have an anxious temperament, we're going to celebrate it. And what's very common with children with anxious temperaments is very responsible. They're very organized. They make good accountants. They make good uh, leaders. 
um, directors. And so what we need to do is, is we'll celebrate those we're going to give them tools that allow that temperament to shine, like um, teach them how to use calendars. Um, be proud of the fact that they remember everything on your schedule. Um, let them be leaders in classrooms, those things. And so that's really where in my business, where um, you know, we mentioned that all of these things are pretty simple and parents can do them all on their own, that's kind of where the, uh, the experience of a behavioral coach comes in. They're able to discover the uh, talents a little bit uh, easier because, because of the experience of seeing it. And then what they can do is teach parents to recognize it, to celebrate it, to even create environments that allow that, that uh, talent to shine. Let me ask you a question. Uh, with parents, do you think some of the problems with the child, if, if the child... Um, has behavior that's out of the expectations of the parents. I mean, I, I, I've been involved with very creative children who didn't seem to be like that your normal child, and you had to really work to deal with them. They, I can see how parents would have expectations that have nothing to do with what their child is. Well, is and this, you... I'm impressed because you were able to identify uh, in that question is you were able to identify a common talent that lies underneath uh, the distractible temperament. These are the the children that uh, adults will label them as um, space cadets, as, uh, um, you know, know, any type of thing where they they can't remember what they're uh, supposed to do. Well, it's too boring. You hit the nail right on the head is that the talent underneath that is the reason why the child's being distracted is because their creative talent is constantly churning along that sometimes distracts them. And we're having trouble with my grandson now. He's six in the first grade. He reads at a fourth grade level, and he doesn't know what to do in that classroom. There's right. nothing for him. So, and, so, <laughs> and so what's nice is, and that's really the theme about what we do, is we celebrate the positive aspects of that temperament and we have a close relationship with that child. And then you can do step number four, which, which is we teach the child how to manage that distractibility. We give them new habits and routines that help them to manage it and, and succeed. Now, do you work with the parents and the teachers to do that with the child, or do you do that with the child directly until everybody's kind of got it? You know, initially, uh, especially in classrooms, initially what I'll do is do some role modeling where I'll actually um, uh, role model how to teach the child the new uh, coping skill. Um, and then eventually what I do is, uh, uh, is we give the teacher or parent homework assignments. And, and we, ask, we ask that parent to, uh, to um, over the next week, three or four times, Choose a day and time where they spend about, you know, 15, 20 minutes role-playing and practicing the new behavior. With the child? With the child? With the child. Nice. And then what's nice about that, it's kind of a a two-for-one, is, you know, uh, we mentioned is that uh, step number one is the most important. Well, how good is it is a mom says, guess what, tomorrow after school, we're going to we're going to play, do some, uh, some role-playing, and we're going to have fun with it. 
So you get that one-on-one time, and you actually get uh, um, a repetition of them practicing the, the new coping skill. So some wonderful reinforcement between the child and the parent. Exactly. Do you have to sometimes sit down with parents and teachers and, and work with their expectations of the child? I mean, You do. And in fact, uh, another thing that I teach my staff is that even though we may have, uh, you know, this formula and we have some great ideas, some great behavioral tools, I remind my uh, staff all the time is that we, that the parent or teacher oftentimes is not ready to accept and understand these, these tools until we first have uh, developed a relationship between the behavioral coach and the adult. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so we've got to listen to the adult. We've got to listen to the parent. We've got to empathize with their frustration. Um, I, I, uh, I oftentimes tell my uh, uh, parents and teachers is that you've got to be okay with the fact is that it's all right that these behaviors sometimes can traumatize us, can leave us frustrated and exhausted. You know, some of these behaviors are very difficult. And so that's why it's so important that we've got to rebuild these relationships. Eric, you, you've been talking about your staff, and we've talked a little bit about what you do, and what we haven't done is tell people how they can find you. Give us every way you can think of that some a parent or a teacher or a school, an organization could get in touch with you. Well, you can find me as my main website is www.behavecoach.com, and uh, on that website there's a lot of free tips and tools. Uh, there's a, uh, a phone number that you can call. Uh, there's a, uh, um, a little uh, information box that you can fill out. Uh, I also have a, uh, another website, which is a, a blog site, and that's www.behavioralcoach.com. And that's got a lot of really good articles on uh, positive psychology, um, working with ADHD, autism, uh, anger problems, and that kind of thing. So you have behave coach and behavioral coach. Yeah. And they can find you on either one. In either one. And also on either site, there's also uh, something new that we uh, came up with uh, in the last uh, um, about month, is that we have, uh, uh, there's a place where you can click on, is we have behavioral tools for purchase. Um, and it's, they're really reasonable. They, they run about 2 to $4.00. Um, and that what they do is they target specific behaviors. Tell us uh, about some, what specifically, what kind of tools, what, what can they get tools for? For instance, um, you know, a really good one is a, a lot of parents and teachers use this behavioral tool called timeout. Oh, yeah, and, the nanny does that. Yeah, and so what I find is that, uh, that they're not using it. Actually, they're, 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 uh, because they're not using it right, they're taking away a valuable teaching tool for their children. And the way that it, it is commonly used is as a timeout, or as a consequence. And actually, a timeout, or I like to call it a quiet place, is a perfect um, tool that you can use for a child to recognize when they're feeling out of control emotionally. And they can choose to go to a safe, quiet place where they can calm themselves down and then get back on track to reintegrate and 
to start learning again, start listening to teachers and parents. How old does a child have to be to realize that he needs some quiet time? Well, um, as we know, as uh, children, uh, you know, when they're born, they aren't fully developed. And really, uh, some of the primary, uh, what I call uh, wiring up, um, really isn't finished until about six or seven. Um, and so we've got uh, fresh new minds. And the reason why I say finished until six or seven is because the last area of the brain to really be wired up is uh, the frontal lobe, which is the thinking part of the brain. And that's really why uh, uh, traditional counseling does not work for little children, because traditional counseling looks at thinking patterns that affect behaviors and emotions. And our, our little kids, uh, you know, that part's just not there yet. They don't have it to work with. That's right. i give you a perfect example of that is uh, little four-year-olds and five-year-olds, one of the biggest problems they have is, is the future. It, they, they struggle to think about what's coming up next. We, uh, we call it transitional anxiety. And so when we tell them that it's, you know, it's time to stop playing and it's time to clean up, you know, a part of them struggles to understand that. Uh, you know, at some level, they, they probably think that, you know what, I'm never going to get to play again. Whereas us as adults, as we can think of, you know, think about the future and know that it's going to be okay that, you know, in the future we will get to play again. So in that and instance, so how can you tell the child we have to clean up our toys now and put them away, but we'll bring them out again um, when, I don't know, well, I don't know what you'd say. What would you tell them so they felt comfortable with, uh, with that? Well, the bottom line is that because we know that that part of the brain is not fully developed is we can't expect them to understand it. There's no magical words that I can tell a three-year-old that the future is going to be okay. No. And, and so what we have to do is we have to find uh, there's other uh, tools that we can use that help them manage their, um, their stressed out, anxious emotions, help them get through that, um, that momentary uh, anxiety about not knowing what's coming up next. Can and you I give you the Okay, good. Give, give you the perfect example and that's the cleanup song. When you sing clean up uh, uh, sing a song about cleaning up to a child, you're just distracting their worry and anxiety about cleaning up. And then they manage the, the transition much easier. Do they sing it? They actually sing it. I I give you a, uh, an example is I I could uh, I could do what I would think an adult would want, and I could help uh, a child clean up their mess and then move on and transition to something else without singing. And I would say seven times out of ten, that child's going to throw a tantrum. Heck, I, I have a four, four-year-old boy, and, and if I try it that way, he'll rip the uh, toys from my hands and throw a tantrum, and he may even start throwing toys across the room. Whereas if I sing that cleanup song, even though it can be annoying at times, is he'll sing it along with me. His anxiety will be distracted. Uh, sometimes he'll be uh, so distracted, he'll go into the kitchen, grab a broom, and start cleaning up the kitchen. Oh, I love it. I hate to ask you this, but can you sing us just a little tiny bit of this clean-up song? <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> <laughs> clean up, clean up, everybody help. <laughs> I love it. 
I, I need that song, Eric. <laughs> my grandson is pretty good about cleaning up, but that would really help. When my kids were little, I they hated their hair washed, and we had yuckadoo then for shampoo. So I made up a song about yuckadoo that they would sing for me, and as long as we sang, I could get their hair washed. So I guess I knew back then to do something, but I really wish I'd had your tools. <laughs> what, what other tools can you tell us about that you have that make life easier for everybody? Well, it's interesting. Is one of uh, one of my most powerful tools is uh, what I it's my crisis management tool, and that is when a child is uh, throwing a tantrum when they're flooded with with high emotion chemicals in their brain. It, it's really hard to get them back on track, and um, I have a variety of different uh, options that I can give uh, parents to use to to reboot their emotional brain, and probably one of the most powerful ones that I haven't found any good research on, but it's, it sure works with my kids, and that is what I call creative distraction. And it has to do with the same concepts as that cleanup song, and that is if a child is locked in emotionally about what they can ha- can't have or what they aren't able to do, if I can get them to start thinking creatively if I can tell them stories, if I can get them to tell a story, all of a sudden they get unlocked emotionally and they're ready to move on pretty quickly. Okay, let's say you have a, a, a little guy and you told him it's bedtime and he starts pitching a fit. What can you do? Well, I, I have a, actually, and I use this for my four-year-olds all the time, is I have a, uh, um, a couple of creative dreams that I tell them about. Mm. Um, I will tell them something along the lines is, well, last night in my dream, there was this huge brown frog that whenever he talked, he would burp talk. <laughs> and, he told, and he told me I had to go to the magic castle and save the princess. But before I could do that, I had to get the magic sword and go slay the dragon. And I would go on and on and on. And as soon as I get him to interrupt me and start finishing the story, that's when I know I have him. That's when I know I've unlocked his his anxious, stressed-out brain about thinking about going to sleep and how, how he doesn't want to go to sleep because he's going to miss out on all the fun stuff. If they've gotten to the point that they're almost active in their tantrum, exactly. I mean, yeah, it, how do you distract them enough to hear the story about the frog? Well, for one thing, is, uh, um, it, it's amazing is that they'll, they'll listen to you during the tantrum. And to a certain extent, you know, a lot of what we do in, uh, in crisis management, when a child is in a full-on tantrum, I really have two goals. And a lot of parents um, and teachers don't realize these goals. What they try to do is they try to stop the tantrum. And in fact, even worse is some of them value themselves by their ability to stop the tantrum, Ooh. which can be kind of dangerous because they may end up making it worse. And, and that's one of my two goals in crisis management is, one, is we don't want to make it worse. We want to allow them to throw the tantrum. We don't want to add to it. And sometimes, even with the best of intentions, parents and teachers, just by their very presence, can make a tantrum into a violent event. The, the second step of crisis management is what we do is we, uh, we focus on, on helping them to work through it quicker, not stopping it, 
just helping them to work through it quicker. Do and when we do when we do things like creative distraction, direction, redirection, giving them choices, um, we usually can support them to get through it quicker. Do you think most children really want help during this tantrum? They really want you to come to their rescue so they don't have to go through that? Well, you know, we can ask ourselves this question as adults, is think of a time in our life where we felt out of control, where we were full of emotions, and then think about how we felt afterwards. It really is kind of scary to feel out of control. And you just want somebody to say, it'll be okay. Exactly. Let me help you with this. You know, and that brings up another thing is that uh, a lot of us is when a child is thrown a, you know, a, a pretty big tantrum, um, and, and I mentioned that we sometimes get traumatized by these tantrums, is sometimes we're afraid to do anything after it because we're afraid that we're going to set them off again. And actually we've missed a, a really beautiful opportunity to give that child support to let them know is that we're there for them and we're going to help them learn new skills so they can manage it so that they so that way they won't feel as out of control next time can you say can you say to something like you know when you get through it on the other side can you say something like you wow that was really a butte you must have been really hurting uh, but we both got through it hey we're doing better can you say is it okay to say something like that Oh, it's not only okay. Is that's that's really one of the directions we want to do. Oh. I, I find this, this this is a problem a lot with uh, with males actually. Um, you know, as you know, is we're we're big problem problem solvers and fixers, and so we always try to swoop in there and solve our little kids' problems. And just like you said, what we need to do a lot more of is acknowledge how they feel is to empathize, is that, you know what, you got pretty mad, that must have been pretty scary. Is to listen to them, what they think. You know, it doesn't mean we have to do what they say, but they need to feel heard. Oh, I totally agree. I, I hear some little guys around you. Are you. Your children are with you, aren't they? I have my, uh, my wife and my four-year-old are in the back seat. Fantastic. I tell you, it's quite remarkable that he's being that happy for this long. <laughs> It says oh, something he's of, being great. I, I'm very impressed. Uh, you never know, because some days are better than others. Well, you know, a four-year-old doesn't stay quiet that long. I, I, I have to tell you, it's remarkable. I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed. It tells well, thank me you, you very much. You, it, it'd be nice if he could say hello to the audience. Actually, it'd be fun, but we don't want to push it. Well, I, he can say hi, Drew. Drew, do you want to say hi? Say hi. Who is it? <laughs> talk show. Hi. Hi. Is your name Drew? There was my boy. That's wonderful. I <laughs> loved it. Four-year-olds are just wonderful, wonderful little people. And, and again, as I, I feel blessed that I was able to to take this route in my life because I really wish I had some of these skills available for me for my now 11- and 10-year-old daughters. Um, because it's really fun being able to to be able to support my my four year old boy in a better way, um, and uh, I'm sure seeing the results. But it isn't really too late with ten year olds either. 
Is it? No, I that's mean, right. They, it's, it's, it's actually never late. They're, be- late, they're benefiting. I, I'm sure they're benefiting from all this. It must be something of a challenge to be an expert in child behavior, particularly with children who are very disruptive and expect your own to, you know, what, what do people think? Yours are supposed to be perfect instead of human, normal children? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think there is any normal children, uh, how people uh, think normal children are. I hope not. I hope there aren't. So, um... I'm very, very lucky that, I, that I'm in this position, and I really want to, uh... I, I want to support other people to, uh to do this as well, to start their own companies, to do behavioral coaching. And we need, we really need more people out there providing these support. I'm told, Eric, that we just have a minute to go. I thought we had a little more time. So tell us very quickly about your vision. My vision is I want to, uh, I want to be able to uh, train other people to start their own companies. I want to uh, um, create a profession of uh, behavioral consultants where we're certified in, in, in these specific tools. Um, I want this, uh, I want to spread this throughout the country, and, and I want this available uh, to everybody. Do you have a training program, Eric? I do. As I, I've just finished it up within the last two months, and it's something that we can provide online, um, at least the initial part. Um, and then, uh, then we would need to hook someone up with a mentor to provide the uh, the experiential part. Okay, everybody, write it down. Behavecoach.com or behaviorcoach.com. If this interests you, and heavens knows, there's a wide field. How many people can you take at a time, Eric? Oh, I've already got uh, three people fully trained, so they can even be trainers now. Fantastic. Do they have to... Uh, there's a course of study, I'm assuming. Yeah, there's about uh, six modules. Do they have um, to be psychologists already or have a degree? They don't. Uh, right now that this is uh, uh, throughout the country, this is not something that is regulated by the state. Um, generally, what you want to do is, uh, is you want to have some experience working with children. And honestly, this goes uh, um, straight in line with, with my beliefs. It's part of my mission statement. Is um, There's a certain type of a talent um, that people have that they're just naturally wired to be able to do this stuff and so it comes very naturally to them and so uh you know search your your, your yourself and and uh pretty much anybody can do this right now it sounds fantastic eric thank you so much have a wonderful trip and i hope your program goes well this thank is you irene so much Con- for having me on this is irene conlon saying thank you from the self-improvement show we'll see you next week when we talk to neil tepper Bye, have a great day. Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.